Sorry, I, I didn't mean to be so crude. This isn't live, is no, it? No, no, no. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. No. No way. No. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. On this episode, we are talking to Sam Chris. Please make sure that you go to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And donate. You'll get some great bonus content, uh, some Matt Carp coming down the pike, and send interviews, and you'll be able to hear the rest of our interview with Sam Chris. Make sure you come to our show on June 14th. To get tickets to that, you just go to give to WBAI. That's give to WBI, then put in the search bar, Katie, the word Katie, that's my name, and Marie, M-A-R-I-E, and uh, a story time with Katie and Marie will come up. Not a very good description of the event, but donate $10, it's nothing, $10 to WBI, and then you'll get to come to the show, hear me and Gabe talk to Freddie DeBoer and Angela Nagel. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. And I'm joined by, as always, Gabe Pacheco. Hello, Gabe. How are you? Katie, I'm just trying to live my best life, but it's <laughs> it's so hard. It's so difficult. I'm addicted to technology. Are you? Yeah. And uh, my, I got my phone. I keep my phone in my hand. I've got like iPhone claw. Oh, is that a thing or you just make that up? I feel like it's definitely a thing. I just, you know, my forearm is tightening up and I just keep, I just keep uh, uploading, uh, downloading new apps. And uh, I downloaded this app recently um, from a game I used to play when I was in middle school. Not often, but I played it a couple times. I played this game, SimCity, and I saw that they had like a free uh, version you could upload on your uh, on your phone. And I was I built my own city. I was doing great, um, but then I forgot. You know, I misallocated resources, and I, I didn't build enough fire stations. And uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to build police stations because. Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and, and all lives, but <laughs> all, all lives. But uh, it was it was one opportunity where I felt like a like a micro tyrant. I had sixty thousand souls in my city, and uh, I felt like a little Robert Moses planning my own my own city. And uh, but uh, I didn't build enough fire stations, so fires all over in the in the outer boroughs of my uh, of my city. And it, it, it felt like I was building the Bronx in the seventies. So is, how does this compare to the game of Monopoly? How does this compare? Well, the thing in well, Monopoly is uh, amazing because you know exactly what you're doing. You're building a monopoly. So we, we're, you're actually uh, uh, teaching people how to uh, create a capitalist cartel mm-hmm. and control all the means of production. Uh, whereas with, um, not in a Marxist way, but sort of if <laughs> when when one when one guy controls all the right. means of production, but monopoly with, with SimCity, it actually it it sounds like a, a positive game uh, because it doesn't take into account corruption. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're really dealing with, with real estate, uh, the, the, my updated version of SimCity would have, uh, would have uh, like um, your uh, real estate market collapse based on uh, derivative swapping on Wall Street. And uh, there'd also be redlining happening where there'd be neighborhoods where you just couldn't get uh, funding. Right. Right. So not enough realistic, um, what's the word? Not enough white flight, segregation. <laughs> um, what else is there? Neglect. <laughs> right. You don't. Also, you don't. Uh, there's no opportunities for vigilantes to run right. around the neighborhood, sort of uh, guardian angels you or uh, re- Zulu Nation um, uh, ambassadors brokering peace deals between rival gangs. You should, uh, like, report bugs. Maybe they can have a 1.0, 2.0, and, like, we got rid of the bugs. Now there's corruption, Zulu Nation brokering. <laughs> 
Well, all that, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, I've been watching movies, documentaries about the '70s in New York and uh, Robert Moses's impact on the city. So I definitely, I definitely feel like. Tell it, me about him. I, him. I'm kind of ignorant. I don't know as much about him as I should. It's There's a bad. great book on him, The Power Broker, that everybody's I read, that, yeah. and the same historian who wrote that is writing a. Uh, Big books on um, President Johnson, hmm. but uh, you know some people love Robert Moses, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of people don't. He's like the reason that we have the Veranzano Bridge and other great works in the cities. But he is the reason that uh, just big uh, highways were built right through neighborhoods in the Bronx. Mm. Yeah, as opposed to around them or something. Right, right. Uh, urban his his urban planning didn't take into account um, the urban population. <laughs> the if you urban will. the urban population. In quotes, I guess. Uh, yeah. So uh, look up, look up Robert Moses. I Katie. will. I mean, I know all about him, but not as much as most people do. I just know, I know that book. I didn't read it. It's good though. It's a good book. Oh my gosh, it's long. Long. It's okay. a lot. A lot going on. You it's get to really life, see right? how he was a megalomaniac. Yeah, mm. he was running things for at least forty years in the city, and uh, you see how he set up his own sort of private fiefdom mm. uh, that was uh, outside of the control and regulation of. Uh, of our uh, presidents and uh, much of New York State. Nice. Well, um, what does Sim stand for? Like Carlos Sim? Like Sims. <laughs> the the Mexican magnet. That's another Sim Sim game they could have. Uh, a yeah. Carlos Sim game where you simulate starting your own cartel. Oh, is that where it comes from? Sim? Is that where it is? Simulate? Uh, like simulate. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And then Sin City is a movie, right? Oh, uh, yeah. You probably love that one. A little hard boiled, black and white. Yeah. Uh, Diddy, that that movie's pretty good, based on Frank Miller's books, graphic novels. Nice. I, uh, by the way, you can hear the Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. And by the way, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Oh, please do that. Please we do love that. we love reviews. We love it. We've been we got good reviews. We got good stars. You know what? I'll give you guys shout outs and extra credit for any uh, colorful language you use. Yes. Just, we want a uh, hyperbole. Uh, I love alliteration. Big fan of it. So, um, write us a sonnet. Yeah. How about a review in haiku? How about a sonnet, a succulent sonnet that suggests, God, I'm really, I have not had enough coffee today. A, usually I'm a, good with those alliterations. A sensible sonnet? Yeah, sensible sonnet. I'm usually able with alliter, I'm usually alliteration able. We're, uh, we're sonically sweet over here at the yeah. Katie Halper Show. Sonic the Hedgehog is cute. Yeah, that's right? a game. That's, that's a, a game, video game. You see? I play Pentix, by the way. I don't know what that is. It's like Tetris. I'm... Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> it's really fun. Uh -huh, it's uh -huh. really addictive. I spent, oh, I went to a wedding this weekend. One of my best friends got married, Amelia yeah. and Mark. And um, Where'd you go for the wedding, North by the Carolina. Way? Okay. So I flew into Raleigh. It was in Carborough or Hillborough, Hillsborough, I think. And she's a public health PhD there. And he moved to be with her there. And then they're moving to D.C., which is sad because I'd like them to come to New York. But on my flight back from there, I was really tired. And so instead of uh, doing work, I just played – it's only like an hour and a half. I played Pentex the entire time. Yeah, it's soothing. Sometimes soothing. you just need so to take a, take a vacation. Is that good for your brain? I'd be so happy if it turned out it was good for your brain. Yeah. It is, right? Well, there are all these games you can you can buy online. I don't know. It's all, it sounds like quackery. I know these Major apps. Quackery, yeah. <laughs> we gotta have a quack quack sound effect. Get your to to get your brain right. Right. Brain get your brain right. Um, it was a great wedding. It was very low key. It was like beautiful and low key. That's so nice when it's beautiful and low key is so much better than what's the opposite of high key of low key. Um, intense, high, strong. major key, major key, 
and failed or even made your Karen successful. It feels like, you know what it feels like some weddings? I hate king size beds. And it feels like a king size bed sometimes. Like it's big and it's ugly. I don't think I'd ever want a king size bed. If I had a mansion, I'd want queens. Two queens <clears throat> with some space in between and then yeah, you can the hop Holy from Ghost. queen to queen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's um, my favorite part about going to a hotel is when they've got two beds in the room yeah. and I can just jump from one bed to the do next. Do you really do that? Every as time. As a little kid, did yeah. you do that? I've, I regress. I go right back to it. Did you as a little kid flip over your pillow? I used to play Lava Monster. What's that? As a little kid. I had a brother and sister and they're a little bit younger than me and we would, um, that means that you would hop from uh, one item of furniture to the next. Ooh. And uh, so each item of furniture was an island and the floor was uh, the lava. Right. So you didn't want to ever touch the floor. If you <clears> did, <throat> boom, you were mm, in the lava. Right. Um, was that fun? So fun. It's like King of the Hill. But great, with more great jumping. Show. Great show. People love it. Yeah. I like Rick and Morty. I'm a big Rick and Morty fan. If we're going to talk cartoons. More, I, I, you know, I never like cartoons, right? Never. You've never have? Never will? No. I watched fairytale theater as I was a kid, when I was a kid. Real? That's your parents. Your parents? No, I didn't like them. Did they make like you them. watch like Mm-mm. PBS shows? They made me watch um, The Diary of Miss Jane Pittman, which was very disturbing. It was about a slave. Um, but it was Disney, so it was kind of for kids. Um, that would have been weird, a cartoon. Nowadays, they, they do, like, very grave subject matter cartoons, but that not then. No, I love—I never liked cartoons. I think I felt, like, talked down to by them. It wasn't even an intellectual thing. I just couldn't suspend my disbelief. That's interesting. I felt talked down to by any movie where the child was the protagonist because uh, I, I never want to watch, a per, like, precocious kids right. large and in charge. So you like the Christmas a Christmas story because he's the protagonist, but he's not a hero. That's right. You like he's, him being denied agency. Exactly, just like real children. Right, just like uh, you were. Not, not. I hate any Macaulay Culkin movie. Boo, right. boo. Him, home alone. Not. Don't believe it. Goonies right. didn't like Goonies. Oh, Why? Really? Because they're because the, the a little the little kids making a right right. He, he opens trap. up his yeah booby traps and stuff. I'm like I'm not making booby traps. Get out of here with that nonsense. I like that. Um. He had asthma. One of the kids had asthma. I had asthma. Yeah, I like the touch of realism. Yeah, there. exactly. The the, fit, <laughs> the weakness, the Achilles heel. Um, so the wedding was really nice. Uh, it was beautiful. I I gave a speech. It was a good speech. Yeah. Did you crush? I crushed. I really did. You want to be the best. I was of the, the best. speech giver. I'll, I'll I'll bleep this out. But I was the best. People told me that. Yeah. I gotta bleep it out. Don't you dare bleep it out. I'll keep it in there. But also, you know what else I did? I um. This I really have to admit. I thought it was going to be really corny. She had like you know I guess in the in the. I don't know, the hope, some Jewish thing. They didn't break the glass. She's half Jewish. She grew up in New York, and her mom is the most, like, the Jewiest, like, non-Jew. She's a therapist who lives on Upper West Side. Right. Her, her dad's Jewy, Jew, like. Well, there's something in the water in New York that just makes everybody Jewish. Exactly, yeah. The horns start coming out. Um, is this so, calcium deposits from, uh, from whatever is in the water making those horns? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little nubs. Um, so... I had to, uh, so they didn't do, they didn't break the glass. I like the breaking of the glass. You know what I'm talking about? At the end of a ceremony, you just step on the glass. Jews love breaking glass. They do, yeah. Oh, no. German. No. Oh, Chris, no, <laughs> no, not. no. You know no. what? Good for Jews. Can you believe we held on to that despite the night of broken glass? That's yeah. pretty resilient. Do you think there were any survivors that have PTSD and they're like, we can't break oh any more glass? That would be interesting. What if they adopted like Catholic, like got married in churches and protests? We're going to find out. We've got to find that out. So they didn't do that. They didn't do the chuppah, like, which is like the house thing. You know, you've probably seen them. It's like, it's not a house. It's some kind of arch that you stand under. Yeah. And they didn't walk around it seven times. There's something with seven. 
and Jewishness. People love the number they seven. They do love seven. Great movie. I love that movie. It's actually, I took a date. It was I went on that really? to that movie on a first date. So I meant had it had an end. I think uh, everybody every everybody got real. Real dry. Uh, when when the big fat guy, uh, when we saw oh his corpse with the yeah. spaghettios coming out of his stomach, I forgot about that part. That oh was my the... god, that was so gross. That was a great movie, though, yeah, right? Yeah. So you score? Absolutely not. How old were you? Middle school? We were middle school then. Well, we could say okay, a sure little do. bit, a little bit older. You're than You're like middle I was. School. I was in grad school. Getting yeah. my master's. <laughs> um, so uh, I did a. Uh, they had seven values, and they had seven groups of kit of people. Who had to do present on it. And I was like, I love my friend Amelia, but this is so corny. And I thought it was going to be really corny. But it was great. And everyone else knew each other. So it was like the, these two friends who lived with her in California. These guys who lived with Mark in D.C. And then it got to me. And I was assigned to this guy who I'd never met. Nice guy. Friends with Mark. You were the dark horse from I was a dark Manhattan. Horse. Well, yeah. There were other. I think they were just like, Katie's outgoing. She's friendly. We're going to. We have an. We have some people, like two people don't know each other at all. Yeah. Let's put them together as opposed to, anyway. So our theme, the themes were like connectedness, like commitment, self-care. I went to, I can't, that's how it shows you how much I love Amelia. I didn't leave the wedding despite the, the self-care theme. And our theme was like joy and celebration. And I was like, oh, what should we do? So I decided we should do A Penny for Your Thoughts. That's a song from Red, White, and Blaine, the musical and Guffman. And people loved it. People loved it who hadn't even seen the movie. Mm. It was interesting. Interesting how it happens. Um, anyway, we're really excited. We're gonna get. We're gonna call our guest in a couple minutes, but just want to give you a, a little heads up. We're gonna be talking to Sam Chris. Very love Sam Chris. So great, right? Yeah. Very smart. Really great writer. I mean, we have lots of smart people on the show, and they're ta- they're good writers. But he's a very poetic writer. Um, he's a UK based writer and uh, essayist. That's why he's so good because he's an essayist, and he lives in uh, London. So he's going to be talking to us about the British elections. I know him mostly from uh, whale vomit, right? Because I, you know, I don't have time to read. No. It's all about podcasts. You got to listen podcast. to podcasts at one point five speed. Yeah, I think Gabe may be like the biggest fan of a podcast of anyone. I That's know. all I do. Yeah, I just you run know, on the track, listening to everything at one point. You run on the track? Got to. Yeah. What? Since when? Eight. I do eight laps. No. That's it, and then I stretch. Really? And I got a foam roller. And Where? I, 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 Where do you do this? I do this in Williamsburg. At a gym? No, it's outdoors. Cool. Next to McCarran Park. Oh. You guys know where to find me. Don't you? You're not going to disappear. I got my ex boyfriend was like. In Spanish, it sounded less weird. <clears throat> he was like, yeah, if I do that, I'll disappear. Meaning, like, uh, he'll get too skinny if he does cycling or running. No, no, no. Well, you know, when I exercise, I gain weight. Muscle mass. Oh, God, okay. Yeah. Got it, yeah. Even running. I, I waste away when I just lay down on a hammock. Oh, my God, I hate you. Yeah. Can we switch a little bit? No, my diet's all milkshakes and cheeseburgers. Do you know what I would give to do that? To live your life? I know. To live your best life? Yeah. I'm so jealous. Um... So, yeah, he's going to be talking to us about the elections, and we're going to see just how much Jeremy Corbyn is, um, how much he is really uh, a Bernie, and how much Theresa May is a Trump. Uh, anything else we want to talk about? There is. I saw this video yeah. uh, online yesterday while I was on the subway at 2 a.m. coming back from Broadway Comedy Club. And I saw this video of what had happened earlier that day. It was taken on a phone of 
uh, these like fingers trying to get out of a subway car. So it was like a fully packed subway car, and the the windows were covered on the inside with like cond- condensation. So like it was like really what like a hot house, like a greenhouse inside the subway car. Hmm. And then the the passage uh, below said that these people had been stuck on a C train for an hour. And they were uh, they were sweating to death. They were overheating on the subway. Wow. So I don't. Did you hear about that? Story yeah, at all? but I think yeah. So what people were on the subway for <laughs> for how long? It was their train was stuck uh, for over an hour, um, and uh, with no air conditioning and ventilation in there. That sounds like rom- that's a better date than seven. Yes. Yeah. Did anyone die or, or no, anyone have pe- a heart attack? People or? were like peeling off their clothes. I mean, how how uh, there were there was a, a lady. Uh, one anecdote: she she like took all her clothes off, not everything, mm. but you know, she got down to her bikini bottoms and whatnot. And other people kind of like made a little tent around oh, her to that's cover, so nice. you know, for modesty and whatnot. Right. But uh, she happened to be a, an observant Muslim. Unfortunate. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, but you know, this is just like uh, another symptom of uh, our public transportation system in New York City is is uh, the it's the worst. The worst. Well, you, you know, you go to any other city, major metropolis right. that's a world city, and uh, the trains run on time and they're clean and efficient. Madrid, Barcelona, London, but you know, ours. I didn't know this. Ours is open all all day, all night. Yeah, that I didn't realize was unique until I went to Madrid. Where mm-hmm. they're even a, they're more of a night city than we are, and yet they're not twenty four seven. Then you take the bus, which is called the Owl. Okay, cool. I asked Josh Bregman, a uh, producer for the Katie Helper Show, who has lived in England. I asked him to write an intro to the political landscape in Great Britain because we don't talk about England that much. So I wanted I wanted to provide you guys with some background. So here is Josh Bregman's introduction to current p- British politics. The UK will be holding a general election Thursday to determine whether the current Prime Minister, Theresa May, will stay in office or be unseated by her challenger from the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. The election cycle began in mid-April when May called a snap election in spite of having promised last year not to do so. At the time, she was 26 points ahead of Corbyn in the polls. May had hoped for an easy win that would give her a popular mandate and strengthen her hand going into the upcoming Brexit negotiations with the EU. The month that followed, however, has been an incredible reversal as Corbyn has closed the massive gap and is now within 1 or 12 points of May, depending on the poll, confounding the expectations of most observers and commentators who had considered him, quote-unquote, unelectable due to his left-wing policy proposals and unconventional persona. The polling and the electorate are incredibly volatile, and it's anyone's guess what will happen. It is also possible that May's party, the Conservatives, or Tories, would not be able to achieve a majority in Parliament, which could also lead to her ouster. In the midst of the campaign, the UK has endured two terrorist attacks within the last two weeks, killing 30 people and having unexpected effects on the political situation. Here to discuss what might happen and what is at stake is Sam Chris. Hell yeah. We're going to talk to Sam Chris. Yeah, we're going to talk to Sam Chris. Uh, Sam Chris is a UK-based writer and essayist whose work has appeared in The Guardian, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Jacobin, Vice, and more. He currently has a podcast for The Baffler called Whale Vomit, and you can find his work at his site. Hello. Oh, hey, Sam. Hey. How's it going? Sorry, did I No, 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 it's not, it's, you, it's not you, it's me. We'll, 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 we'll tack it on at the end. Um, I'm here, this is Katie. Hi, nice to see you. You too. I feel like I know you just from the onlines and you're hearing your voice. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, and this is Gabe Pacheco. Hey, Sam, co-host. Chris, I'm Gabe Pacheco. Hi. 
God, Brits are so lucky. You guys just sound so, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you guys sound so smart just saying the most mundane words. <laughs> well, I mean, mostly I talk to other British people, so the fact doesn't really right. work. Do, you, do we sound a little bit dumb to you? Uh, no, not <laughs> really. I mean, I mean, you should hear, you know, how stupid some British people sound. You know, the kind of the guy in the pub going, ah, it's all nonsense, isn't it? Isn't it? There's no magic money tree. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and you push back and say there is a magic money tree? Oh, it's been like one of the, the catchphrases of the election now, you know, enforced by the Tory party. We can't oh. have nice things because there's no magic money tree. Oh, I didn't know that. You see, even your guys like like corny, not very smart things sound more highbrow than ours. Magic money tree sounds <laughs> like, a, tree. like a cereal I would eat. Like yeah. there's like a Keebler elf that lives I mean, in the magic money tree. It, it's a beautiful image and it's cool because it does actually exist. But they're, you know, trying to pretend that it doesn't. Um, no, it reminds me of like, uh, like, you know, those kind of, you know, like those 1950s children's books that they used to used to make kids read that, you know, like kind mm-hmm. of whimsical themes and then a bit of, you know, covert racism. Right, right. Or overt, depending on. Right, right, right. Just a little flair. Not, not, yeah. Um, so we are really excited to talk to you about your what you're working on, also the British elections, of course. And um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I did not know uh, that you were from Jerusalem. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, well, I mean, the kind of the cat's out of the bag with that one, really. But, um, yeah, yeah. you know, when I, took a trip back there to see family a bunch of the alt-right suddenly started talking about how my entire family works for Mossad or whatever <laughs> finally now you so, don't you know, the pressure's so off. it's not a connection that makes uh makes people very happy Th- sorry I'm a Jew so you can feel comfortable we can bleep it I'll bleep it out so that uh like eight years ago I I decided oh, I know I'll, I'll do a blog and then maybe I'll actually get writing and I just kind of kept on doing it until people gave me money and paid attention to me which surprises me frankly but that's what happened well you're very you're a very good writer you really I was just saying that before that you're like we have a lot of journalists on the show but you're a very good uh just good good prose oh, thank you Sure. And I'm going to make sure to separate your saying that you are Jewish and that you got paid to write. Because I don't want to perpetuate any. We don't need that. We got to. By, by the way, so Gabe and I have an interesting thing where Gabe is. I've I've named Gabe an honorary Jew, but I'm not the only person, right? He, he Wait, also, as I'm saying this, he's literally putting on a black jacket with a hood. And there's something very sinister about him doing that as I'm revealing his partial Jewish identity. Uh, uh, I think like it's more just, fan. I just have a very uh, Jeff Goldblum-like profile and um, uh, it didn't really uh, help me uh, much growing up in D.C. and then I moved to New York and uh, people immediately assume things about me based on, on my <laughs> yeah, profile. Everyone in New so, York is Jewish, right? That's what yeah. I tell, yeah. that's like, what like I tell Katie every episode. Oh my they God, are. totally, actually. Yeah, that's that's very true. They actually and Puerto Ricans actually. Well, I'll tell you about this another time because I want to. Uh, this will be in the extra. We'll have, we'll have you on again. I'll tell you my dating anecdotes. <laughs> so Sam, tell us about what is going on in in England. Tell us what what's going on there. What are your thoughts on the election? You had two really great pieces on your blog. Uh, did you say at your blog or on your blog? I have no idea. All right, we don't know. Who, With who my blog. With your blog, of your blog, by your blog, which is Idiot Joy Showland. It's samchris.com, but the title of it is Idiot Joy Showland. And you have two great, great pieces. One is um, Corbynism or Barbarism, part uh, part one, and then you have a part two. 
Yeah. And you talk about how you going to vote for him, right? And uh, but you don't always vote for for Labour. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, the first vote I ever cast in a general election was for Labour, and that was in 2010 um, when I was kind of uh, young and impressionable and didn't really know what to do with myself. <laughs> no, and uh, yeah. this was, you know, the election they lost that brought in the uh, Conservative Lib and Coalition government. And, you know, I, I just definitely didn't want the Tories to win. So, uh, so I voted for Labour and, um, you know, I didn't do it proudly. So in this really great post, uh, Corbynism or Barbarism, part two, you say, um, I'm going to be voting for Labour. This is a new experience for me. It's not that I haven't voted Labour before. I did in 2010. Afterwards, I felt deeply ashamed. It was like having one of Gordon Brown's hair stuck in my mouth. We've all been there. It was as if his grease had started oozing through my skin. I felt suddenly complicit in everything. The wars, the privatizations, the Britain. Five years of Tory government acid couldn't burn off the guilt. I promised myself I wouldn't do, ever do it again. So can you tell us a bit about what happened? The Labour governments under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown were just kind of so monstrously and irretrievably bad that, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't shake the kind of horror of having you know, sold myself out right in the first days by voting Labour and then they didn't even win at the end of it, you know. Um, and like kind of over time, like, well, I mean, like like a lot of people, I, I kind of very much hardened in my stance towards the Labour Party. You know, um, it became this kind of neoliberal party that, you know, it, it, it wasn't really interested in actually reforming or improving anything. Um, but just kind of triangulating these kind of monstrous right-wing positions towards their own ends. Uh, and even though the Conservative government that came after 2010, well, the Conservative coalition government, turned out to be in many ways immeasurably worse than the Labour government, um, you know, I, I still had very little faith in the party. Um, and I didn't vote for Labour in 2015. You know, I'm not a Labour member. But... Um, you know, while, while I've, uh, well, during his leadership, I've, I've had plenty of critiques of, of Corbynism and, you know, some of the limitations of the projects and uh, some of its uh, aporias and, you know, the places it won't go and, uh, you know, the kind of contradiction to parliamentary socialism. Um, I, I think Jeremy Corbyn is the only thing that, that can save the Labour Party because he's actually trying to turn it into something different than what it was and what it was was something that uh, ever since the 1997 election which is still held up as a kind of model of you know center-left electoral success it's been just hemorrhaging votes ever since then how how well does the analogy between sanders and corbyn work um well i mean it's kind of different uh in the uh well i mean i mean the first thing is that um corbyn actually managed to become the leader of his own party you know, it's always slightly different under a, a parliamentary system like we have. Um, I mean, I can imagine that if Sanders had won the nomination, you probably would have seen something very similar to what we saw in the Labour Party with Corbyn. You would have... Uh, wasn't um, Bloomberg talking about running if uh, Sanders got the nomination? You know, yeah. kind of uh, cold-skinned, dead-eyed... Yeah. <laughs> keep the power the where man. it belongs kind of candidacy against the uh right. the shouty extremes of uh Trump and Sanders but um you know so so obviously that situation is quite different I mean also 
Jeremy Corbyn is a lot more left-wing than Sanders is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, British political discourse is pitched terrifyingly to the right lately, but uh, I don't think we're quite where you're at yet. Um, right. You know, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is, for instance, a very principled anti-interventionist. You know, he's um, when it comes to uh, international politics, he's always had a, a very strong line on on things like Palestine, for instance. Um, you know, he's he's always been in in solidarity with Cuba. Um, he's coming in with a lot of flack at the moment for. Um, well, the line is that uh, he was a IRA supporter during the troubles in Northern Ireland. But you know, in, in fact, he was you know trying to open dialogue with Sinn Fein, who are the kind of um, legitimate political um, electoral uh, Irish nationalist group in uh, in Northern Ireland. Um, but um, I mean, I mean, one area where. Uh, one area where Sanders actually can show something of an improvement over Corbyn is that he's been much more willing to talk the language of class, whereas, um, mm. you know, for for all the uh, for all the great things that, that Corbyn's brought to the discourse, he's occasionally a bit wary of talking directly in terms of uh, of different interests. Although Labour's campaign slogan for the many, not the few. Uh, does actually kind of exemplify that, but for for quite a while, Corbyn was um, Corbyn was a, a, a lot more willing to kind of push his kind of um, social collaborationism. Is that because it's it's a, it's so explicit because it's the Labour Party and because England talks about class and you have the Tories who are like you know, I just think of it as like you know open aristocrats versus open like, uh, <laughs> proletariat. Yeah, but class. I mean, um, I mean. Like like the fucking hideous complexities of the of the British class system, you know, it's right. it's an entirely different beast here. You, like like you know, whenever two British people meet each other, the first thing they always do is spend like the first kind of two or three minutes of the conversation trying to work out exactly what the class position of the other person is, and then they'll know how to approach them. Right. Class is oh, I love mutated it. into yeah. something you know really hideous in, in in this country. It's kind of mutated beyond its um, actual economic determinations into this kind of complete system of being, um, which you know I'm, I'm, I'm sure it... has something to do with the fact that we still actually have an aristocracy who right. you know ride around on on horses with ridiculous names and have no chins and honk witlessly yeah. out of their chinless mouths. Yeah, I know the chin thing is an issue. Bless their hearts. Um, wh- how do you tell the class thing? Is it the accent? Is it where they're from? Is it details? Is it? Um, well, I mean, I mean, usually the the biggest indicator is uh, what supermarket you shop at, um, or you know, like kind of what what media you consume, um, where you get your clothes. Um, you know, though, I mean, because. Uh, British and in particular the English are enormously self-regarding people. There have been mm-hmm. a lot of books written just on the subject of you know the British class system and how it works and what people in it are like. Um, like K. Fox's Watching the English is uh, is one that I have read. Mm. Um, but um, you, you know we have uh, we 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 also have uh, a lot of the kind of uh, right-wing politics of authenticity, which kind of try to deploy class against the left here um mm-hmm. you know you've had um uh, the conservatives recently have been have been talking in this kind of you know uh what what you could call a kind of 
old-fashioned class rhetoric that, you know, the Labour Party could never do because they'd be accused of being, you know, outright Bolsheviks. Uh, right. They, You know, they've been talking about, um, you know, about how the Conservatives are the real party of the workers against a kind of multicultural elitist and the metropolitan right. uh, metropolitan liberals and so on. Um, Globalists. And then uh, during the last Labour leadership contest, which was, God, last year, I mean, times just kind of run away from me lately. But, um, you know, you had uh, Owen Smith, who was the right wing of the Labour Party's challenger, um, who who would make these incredibly strange pronouncements about, um, you know, there was an observer interview with him uh, in which he went to a cafe and got a cappuccino and then had to pretend that he didn't know what a cappuccino was and called it a oh frothy coffee because, uh, really you know, funny. being able to pronounce such a suspiciously foreign word would probably mark him out as some kind of a fat urban liberal. Um, and, right. and even recently, <laughs> um, I I don't want to slander anyone, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but there was a, a Labour MP uh, who was on Twitter talking about um, um, talking about uh, you know uh, Jeremy Corbyn supporter claiming to be in support of the working class, and then walking into a Costa coffee. And uh, I don't know if you have it in the states actually, but like Costa is a like normal you know chain of coffee stores. Like yeah, it's Starbucks red with white whatever. writing on it. Um, and the implication is, you know, real, authentic, working class British people don't drink coffee. They drink, you know, a nice mug of beef broth and piss warmed over a wood fired stove. Um, and it's kind of ridiculous and it's not working because, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's support is actually higher uh, within the Labour Party, at least, is, is higher among uh, working class Labour members. Um, and that's because, you know, I think eventually people will kind of, they'll see the difference between a, this kind of um, bizarre pantomime routine of class politics and the politics which might actually benefit the working class. How surprised were you by how relatively well he's doing? And what do you think is going to happen? <sighs> I mean, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, I mean, like when, when the election when the election was called, um it was every expectation there'll be uh, an absolute route for the Conservatives. Um, you know, it was, I mean, it was called on the understanding that the only thing that would happen is that the, the Tories would gain like 200 seats and Labour would be destroyed as a party and we'd enter into this kind of glorious period of one party rule under the leering face of Theresa May. Um, and that's not happened. I mean, it's been, um, it's been like basically since the Labour manifesto uh, was launched, uh, he's suddenly started skyrocketing in the polls. Um, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what will happen because, um, you know, a lot of people on the left like to pay attention to a few of the polls, especially those from YouGov and Ipsos Mori, which show, uh, which show Corbyn between five and I think the latest is one point behind the Conservatives. Uh, but then there are others which show the Tories with a 10 or 12 or 15 point lead. Um, I'm I'm not surprised that he's done this well, actually, to be honest, um, because, you know, like in uh, at the beginning of the uh, first Labour leadership contest in 2015, he started as a 200 to one outsider. You know, every every leadership contest, the left of the party bands together and it's one of their 
turn to go and stand for the leadership and inevitably fail and then some kind of glossy monstrosity takes over the party instead. Um, but this time, as soon as they started putting them, uh, putting him in a in a room together with the other candidates and having them actually talk and debate and answer people's questions, people started liking what Corbyn was saying because, mm. uh, you know, unlike a lot of politicians, he doesn't talk like a like an automated chatbot. You know, he, he's actually capable of holding a conversation and he thinks before he talks rather than just you know reeling off whatever answer he had prepared. Um, and when you're in a kind of election scenario, you can't have the... Well, there's been a few instances of the party kind of backbiting at him, but there's, it's just not, there's not been so much of that. Uh, and he's done extraordinarily well, and you, you just kind of have to hold your head in your hands and go, why didn't you just do this from the beginning? Um, we, we wouldn't have to be in this situation. And can you tell us about the attack um, that happened over the weekend and what effect that will or will not have on the... Um on the election? Uh, the, uh, the attack happened in London. So far. Um, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the attack in, in Man, well, I mean, you know, obviously both attacks, you know, this one and the right. one in Manchester were, you know, ab- absolutely horrifying. And, um, you know, it's, it's really monstrous kind of vicious rage against against people who are you know just trying to have fun with their friends and families on a on a on a night out. Um, uh, the, the the attack on Manchester was you know it it was incredibly um, in, incredibly devastating for a lot of people. Um, you know, campaigning was suspended for several days. So were you know soldiers on the streets and in London and I think in other places around the country. Um, and well, I mean, like, like a big part of that was the fact that it was children who were being targeted. Um, and and that was like a, an, an incredible wound in, in the city and the country and people have rallied together really admirably. Um, and you know, I, I don't mean at all to diminish the, the horror of what happened in London, but, um, I mean, I mean, because London is, is this kind of vast and different metropolis, um, People here have um, a kind of uh, people here are, are kind of very resilient to that kind of thing. Um, you know, we've 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 been targeted by terrorists many times before in our um, in our even quite recent history. Um, and there's something about the uh, the kind of the anonymity of this city almost. Um, so I don't actually foresee it having. Um, a really major effect. I mean, the, in the immediate aftermath of, of Manchester, I was worried this would be, you know, grist to the mill of the conservative security state machinery. Um, right. But I, I think it isn't actually. I, I think what's really happening with these attacks is that um, it, it's a, you know, we've had um, three fatal terrorist attacks in three months, and, and people are people are getting absolutely sick of it. Uh, and they and they want something to change. And um, Jeremy Corbyn, in the aftermath of the, of the Manchester attack, he was um, he was talking about how if we're very serious about preventing this kind of thing from hap- from happening, we need to reconsider the effects of our of our foreign policy. You know, it's not the case that these attacks are entirely reducible uh, right. to British actions overseas. After all, the uh, the attacker in Manchester, I think two of the three attackers in London, although I may not be correct on that one, uh, were kind of British born and bred. Um, 
and and some of the problems uh, I, I think absolutely have to do with what's going on inside British society. Um, but you know, he 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 was very clear that um, uh, he was very clear that part of of what of what got us here were were things like you know the Iraq War or the 2011 attack on Libya, or um, or, or what's currently happening in in Syria and and in Iraq, um, and obviously the right wing media went into overdrive at this and uh, accused him of blaming Britain for the attacks and so on. But um, as a um, as a smear, it's kind of in, it's entirely failed to land. Um, I think a poll showed that 56% uh, of people uh, in this country actually agree with them. You know, m most people here were against the war in Iraq, were against the intervention in Libya and are against any possible intervention in Syria. Um, so, I'm, you know, I mean, like, um, Corbyn has has a history of actually giving the correct answers to problems, um, and and it's it's possible that uh, um, you know it's possible that uh, the kind of very nasty conservative attempts to to capitalise on these attacks by redoubling their rhetoric against uh, migration and multiculturalism will fail. I mean, after all, as people have been pointing out. Uh, Prime Minister Theresa May was Home Secretary for six years before she was Prime Minister. This was all under her jurisdiction. Um, and, you know, it was obviously under her watch that police numbers were cut um, and that uh, a whole bunch of measures that, you know, very seriously alienated a lot of people in, from um, minority ethnic backgrounds in this country were introduced. You know, she, right. she sent vans with... Uh, with uh, racist slogans from the 1970s uh, around the uh, north of London, telling migrants to go home. Um, oh wow! Vintage. And, That's you know, this, this kind of rhetoric and attitude is is genuinely sickening, and and a lot of people are very sickened by it. I think people should be very wary of like you know making political hay from tragedies. Um, yes, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's going right? to benefit Labour, but um, okay. you know it. it, it the fact that this kind of thing is happening, you know, it, it does kind of underline the fact that the way we're doing things now just doesn't work. Do you think people are making the connection between uh, Theresa May's previous job and, and what's happening now? Because I feel like in the United States, people have such short memories that they don't ever make the connection between like the policy and then what's happening now. Oh, God. People here have, have incredibly short memories. You know, I, I think it's a function of just like political culture in general. Um, you know, there's a political sketch writer who, um, like, years ago, back when, well, a year ago, um, just after the Brexit referendum, um, Jeremy Corbyn made a joke in Parliament at David Cameron's expense. Uh, and then uh, and was roundly derided for it. And then a few weeks later, Theresa May made the same joke at Jeremy Corbyn, and everyone was congratulating her on what a stunning barb it was. I mean, you know, like kind of lobby journalists and political reporters, my friends accepted, are basically idiots wherever you go. Um, you know, one of the parties in the election is doing everything it can to make Theresa May's record an issue in the election. You know, like, like the thing with Theresa May is that um, when... You know, um, even like one year into into premiership, um, 
most people didn't really know who she was. You know, like um, there was never really a full um, leadership election in the Conservatives because one of the candidates kind of suddenly bowed out and there was just a, a virtual coronation for Theresa May. It all kind of took place behind the scenes. And the British public were presented with this prime minister without really being told who she was or what she would do or what she was like. And the line that came out of the media was, uh, you know, she was this kind of firm hand on the wheel, sensible, pragmatic, good uh, good negotiator, strong and stable, et cetera, et cetera, which is all an absolute lie. Like, can I swear on this thing? It was total bullshit. (laughs) She, um, you know, she she's devastating. She's one of those people who's devastatingly incompetent, but because they're also kind of very petty and cruel, people think that they're good at the game right. of politics, and she's simply not. Um, you know, like when she was Home Secretary, as well as the uh, the racist vans that she sent around London, for instance, she deported, I think, 44,000 uh, students because they uh, took a, uh, a conversational English test. Uh, which no. was um, which may have been fraudulent. Um, you know, she 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 has a legacy of just kind of terrible and ideologically driven decisions. Um, but that's not really the Theresa May that anyone really knew. Even as you know, uh, with the Brexit negotiations before they even started, she was immediately saying we can't have single market access. Uh, we can't uh, stay in the European economic area. We can't basically have any of the things that might soften the blow of Brexit. Um, and she was kind of ruling out what should have been, you know, British bargaining goals before the negotiations had even started. Um, and it's only really in the election, um, in the process of the election, that people have actually been introduced to Theresa May because, you know, m- most people don't pay obsessive attention to the news because they're normal and they have better things going on in their lives, unlike me. Um, or me, yeah. So, you know, like, like I'm, I'm sure a lot of the country wouldn't have really seen very many interviews with her, for instance, before the election, because she, I mean, she doesn't really do interviews. And the ones that she's done since have been an ab- absolute disaster. You know, she's shown herself to be mostly capable of trotting out sound, sound bites and... Um, repeating nonsensical phrases that a, a team of political strategists have come up with for her. Um, I mean, you know, as, you know, um, Jeremy Corbyn absolutely deserves a lot of the credit for, for his um, success in the polls lately. But I mean, the in, in a way, the real story has just been the, the absolute shambles that the Conservative campaign has been, because they're trying to sell something, but they're fundamentally lying about what it is that they're selling, and people are starting to take notice of that. I feel like we're having a dumb off to see who's dumber, like Americans or British people. Um, And I think you're underestimating us. I guess they are, yeah. Well, I want to know, does Theresa May, like, not eat uh, ethnic food? Because I feel like if you're going to be a racist, you should be stuck with fish and chips and blood (laughs) sausage. What else do you guys have there that's indigenous to... to Uh, Oh, fuck. Uh, Mud, uh, bog water, um, pastures, pig's trotters, jelly deals. Um, Those are, that's you know, like, like if it looks like something that has been thrown away after a European did, you know, the butchery, then we'll probably eat it. Right. Um, You're a hard no, Yeah, no, it's just kind of weird. There's like this kind of weird kind of racism we have here where, where you know, people kind of go, oh, I can't be a racist. I love curry. Um, right, Although exactly. I guess that's kind of similar to... Trump kind of posing majestically with a taco bowl from his uh, from his own yes. restaurant. Um, 
It's a it's at least more t- it's a slightly more tasteful than the like I've I've slept with X women. I can't be racist because I've had sex with XYZ ethnicity. Yeah, no, um, I, I've, I've, I, I think I've actually had a, had a, um, an ex uh, rebuff accusations of anti-Semitism that way. That's good. That's an honor. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm actually all in favor of it, frankly. Um, okay, you know, I'm just okay. doing my bit for a, for a less anti-Semitic planet. Exactly. Yeah, for humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and and what about the mayor of London? Are you a fan? Sadiq Khan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, uh, like when uh, Donald Trump uh, took it upon himself to start castigating him after right. after the attacks in London, um, you know, it was very hard to not feel a instinctive sympathy for, towards the man. Um, and you know, like, uh, like when he was running for uh, for the mayor of London, the Evening Standard, which is like the kind of London-only free newspaper. Um, mounted a just incredibly racist campaign against him, uh, alleging him of all of these kind of various extremist links. Um, and, you know, like, like Sadiq Khan may as well be like the squeakiest clean Muslim in Britain. You know, he's, he's this kind of shiny, glossy, charismatic, you know, kind of not too left wing son of a bus driver. You know, he's perfect. And like, if he can't escape, um, if he can't escape racist scapegoating, then, you know, probably no one can. So, you know, I have a lot of instinctive sympathy for the guy. Politically, he's kind of a big mayor. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, after, for instance, Corbyn campaigned very hard for him in the mayoral election, he returned the favor by, you know, being just another snake in the grass in, in his premiership. Um, you know, he's uh, he's very clean. He's very keen to, uh, you know, talk about how much he loves Israel, for instance. Um mm. Whereas, you know, Ken Livingstone, the first mayor of London, he was uh he was making arrangements with the Hugo Chavez government in, in Venezuela to uh to provide um free free uh bus travel for, for um elderly citizens. Um nice. Which is ironic because Sadiq should have been doing that because his dad was a bus driver, right? <laughs> well, I mean, like like to be fair, uh to be fair, Sadiq Khan's um best policy is about buses where you know if you take two buses in two hours you only pay the uh the fare for one which is like oh. you know for a lot of people who you know have to budget and work out exactly right. how much money they have at the end of any given week and if they take the bus to work that's going to save them a lot of money so right. you know for that alone i'm behind him also he cancelled that fucking bridge um that uh <laughs> that they wanted to bridge uh build over london which cost like seven million pounds before they even started building it uh and it was all because i think esther ransom had a nice dream about it i agree um and it looks like uh theresa may is actually paying a price for her closeness with donald trump yeah um yeah she's been uh an absolute embarrassment when it comes to trump um yeah you know i mean i don't know how much play it got over in america um I mean, actually, I was, I was in the States right at the beginning of Theresa May's visit. Um, but there was a picture of her holding hands with him as they walked down the steps, <laughs> which uh, yeah. either one or both of them tried to explain by saying that Donald Trump was afraid of the stairs. So Theresa May took Aww. his hand to reassure him, which, um, I, I, to be honest, I don't even want to think about that. Um, but yeah, more, more recently, um, after kind of, 
blithely insulting our mayor on Twitter, Donald Trump wants to come to the UK for a state visit to, you know, lend us solidarity and support in, in the wake of terrorism, um, which I think there's nothing more likely to get people in London rioting. Um, right. And uh, quite recently, uh, a number of European heads of state wrote a letter um, on Donald Trump's um, withdrawal from the uh, Paris Climate Treaty, uh, and Theresa May refused to sign. And she tried to account for that in a question time debate by um, talking about how close her relationship was with Trump and how rather than having to sign a letter, she could just kind of say personally, oh, I really wish you wouldn't do that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people clearly weren't buying it. I mean, I think the current uh, approval ratings for Donald Trump here are something around 11%. Um, you know, um, we'll, we'll very happily lap up the British Donald Trump, but, you know, because right. the American one is very much played for an American audience who's not particularly popular. Right. Uh, and, and um, you know, in a way, it's almost kind of worse than Bush with, uh, than Blair with uh, George W. Bush, because, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the very least, the uh, the Democrats and Everyone else in America were also busy bending, bending over backwards to to prostrate themselves before the idiot king of America. Whereas this time, you know, there's actually been a lot of pushback, a lot of it, um, you know, coming from fairly unpleasant courses like David Frum or whatever. Um, but you know, when, when you have most major European leaders um, clearly signalling their displeasure with you know, everything the big special boy of America does. Um, Theresa May's kind of instant compliance, you know, sort of kind of post-Brexit desperation kind of looks very pathetic and it definitely undercuts her, uh, you know, strong and stable Britain as a global leader kind of rhetoric. And why do you think Obama uh, endorsed Macron in in France? Why do you think he hasn't endorsed anyone in England? (laughs) <laughs> because he's a liberal, isn't he? You know, because yeah. Macron espoused Obama's politics and Jeremy right. Corbyn absolutely doesn't. You know, if, if we had um, Yvette Cooper, although, although I mean, actually, um, actually, to be fair, given that uh, Theresa May is is the incumbent, um, I, uh, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that Obama would endorse anyone. Uh, although you know when he uh, when he came to the UK shortly before the Brexit vote and uh, um, begged the British people you know to to vote to remain, um, that may have been a significant factor um, pushing people to vote leave because you know there, there's this kind of uh... willful spark of I don't know counter colonial cringe. Uh, which makes British people kind of want to do the exact opposite of whatever some highfalutin American comes in and tells them to. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you remember, in 2004, the Guardian newspaper here uh, ran this letter-writing campaign where a bunch of Guardian readers would write to voters in a swing county in rural Iowa, I think. Um, Oh, I don't know And, you know almost uniformly told them to vote for John Kerry. Uh, and they got uh, a lot of hate mail back. Um, you know, people don't like being told what to do by foreigners. Um, right. And, um, you know, I, I, I genuinely can't see Obama um, having really anything in common with with, with, uh, with someone like Corbyn. You know, I mean, I mean for a start, Corbyn was... Uh, 
principally, uh, you know, he was in principled opposition to every single one of the wars that Obama started. Uh, yeah, I guess I was, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it is, Theresa May is pretty scary. I kind of thought maybe. Yeah, uh, she's, she's, she's fucking terrifying, but she's kind of, yeah. you know, despite Brexit, she's kind of terrifying in a way that's pretty homogenous with the, with the existing world order, you know, like, uh, here's your country, right. you're in charge of it, time to, time to do some racism. Um, right. Whereas, whereas, you know, a Jeremy Corbyn victory would seriously upset the world order. Um because you know, for for the first time in in a while, you'd have a um, you know a fairly major global economic power, um, which is trying to seriously buck the trend of neoliberalism. Um, you know, I, I, I think are... uh, you know. To be honest, I think uh, in that sense, Obama probably has more in common with Marine Le Pen than he does with Jeremy Corbyn. Ooh, wow. That's good. I'm gonna make that into it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 I should, I should clarify that you know, Marine Le Pen makes a lot of anti-neoliberal gestures, but um, right, of course, right. You know, it's kind of like her politics are economic populism on the on the same kind of level as Donald Trump, which you know essentially continues to allow the same slow creeping devastation that's been destroying everything to keep on doing what it's doing. And what about the Blairites? Are they do what are they doing to sandbag uh, Corbyn? Um, well, I mean, there was a rumor that came out today. Um, I'm not sure if it can be trusted uh, that the uh, Blairite wing of the party are planning to mount a leadership uh, leadership challenge at 10:01 p.m. on Thursday, which um, which would be, I think, shortly after the exit poll comes out. Um, I mean, like. In this election period, they have been mostly quite quiet. Although there are stories of, um, you know, MPs knocking on knocking on doors in their constituencies and then proceeding to, you know, rant at voters about how Jeremy Corbyn's an anti-Semite. And there's been some uh, campaign li- uh, some campaign literature, uh, which has been sent out by kind of uh, local Labour parties to voters, basically saying. Uh, we hate Jeremy Corbyn, but it's okay. He won't win. He, um, he won't win. So you can vote for us, and it's perfectly safe to do so. Um, oh, and you have had a few um, big Labour figures kind of briefing against the uh, the current leadership. Like it's it's been more muted in the last six weeks, simply because um, you know if, if if these people actually visibly throw the election in, in favor of the Tories, then, well, I mean, for a start, they might not get to keep their jobs. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, if, well, I mean, actually, to be honest, whatever happens uh, on Thursday, uh, <laughs> we're very likely to see a uh, immense amount of discontent within the Labour Party. I mean, there was talk at the beginning of the election before Corbyn's poll started skyrocketing of uh, the MPs that are left uh, in the party, the anti-Corbyn ones, um, rather than trying to overthrow Corbyn, they would resign from the Labour Party, form a new block, uh, block in Parliament calling itself, uh, I think the working name was the Progressives, uh, and then wait until the Labour Party got rid of Corbyn by itself, at which point they would rejoin, which is a absolutely stupid idea. But uh, um, these are, for the most part, absolutely stupid people. I mean, the 
the the Blairite era did not produce a lot of intellectual luminaries. Like m- most of the most of the Labour Party came up during that period, uh, kind of intensely stupid people who think that uh, you know bright colours and a nice tie are a, are a substitute for actual political work and political thought. Be able to hear the rest of our interview with Sam Chris if you just go to patreon.com/slash/the Katie Halper Show. 